Hi there, Dylan Hartley here. Welcome to a brand new series of the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. The time has come for me to sit on the other side of the mic and start asking the questions. So I'm going to be roping in some of my old teammates to chat about their best and most challenging times in an England shirt and getting to know some of the new faces in camp. With me this week are Johnny May and George Ford. Welcome. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I've not seen you since I retired. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Still missing you, obviously, uh, but all good. What about you, Johnny May? How you been? Yeah, good, mate. Just on the loop, the performance cycle. Can you explain to me what the performance cycle is? It's just the constant cycle of recovery to performing, to learning, to adapting. And it just goes round and round, mate. But it's nice to be back on it. Um, had a good little break in isolation, reflected a bit, and now I'm ready to, to get playing again. So it's been good to be back playing and it's, it's awesome to be back at camp as well. Have you boys been looking forward to, I don't know, just rugby picking up or, or kind of getting some sort of normality again? Like, I've been watching games and it looks, it looks like a weird thing to be taking part in. What, what's it actually been like on the field? For me, it feels all right. Like, we just got to be essentially grateful for the opportunity to do our jobs. Of course, there's sacrifices we need to make and it's obviously not ideal or what we're used to, not having fans and stuff, but we just got to count ourselves lucky that to some extent we can do what we love considering that a lot of people out there can't do their jobs and probably going through a bit of a tougher time than we are so it's been awesome just to be back playing rugby um, but the circumstances are a bit strange. You know like um, every time in my experience you come into camp Eddie always like shakes things up he always like tears up the script of whatever has been done before he's always got a new theme or a new mantra for that tournament I suppose with COVID, I think all form books um, have been literally thrown out. Have you guys kind of addressed finishing that Six Nations and rolling into the autumn yet? Or is it all a bit a bit early? No, we, yeah, we have spoken about that. I think uh, one of the first things, like you just mentioned there, Dil, Eddie mentioned was COVID's almost um, brought everyone back to zero. So sort of like everyone's in effect starting again, to be honest, because you lose, you obviously you lose momentum from the... Last time we played in March and stuff. So obviously we've got too many camps. So um, there's been themes in and around that and, and things with COVID that are different. So obviously we're in a different environment. There's different restrictions and different ways of doing things, which has probably freshened things up just because we've had to anyway, really. But um, yeah, we've, we've definitely mentioned about getting these next few weeks right to focus on that Italy game, um, to finish that Six Nations off. So I'll let you explain your nickname, the Red Rat. Well, it was originally the Rat. And now you're, you're the red rat. <laughs> yeah, so that came from um, originally, I nicknamed Johnny the rat and he nicknamed me back, which is how it came about. But uh, there was one session, was it in Browns, Dylan? I think it might have been in Browns. No, it was when you were in that lipstick in Argentina. Oh, it was in Argentina. Oh my God. I've actually got that in my notes. Right, we, we need to put a bit of uh, context to that story, Johnny. Oh, well, I'll tell it, seeing as we can't trust George to tell it properly. But basically, we are in a meeting out in Argentina and I don't know, maybe... Um, the, the steaks are salty or the air's a bit dry out in Argentina but George had a steak it must have been the air but George had a terrible set of chap lips on him <laughs> they were flaky they were dry they were shriveled um, so he went to the shop to buy himself a lip balm <laughs> um, but I think he bought like a cherry a girl's cherry lip balm <laughs> So me and Dylan are sitting in the meeting and George has obviously put his lip balm and we're looking at each other and George speaks very well in meetings and <laughs> we looked at George when he started talking then me and Dylan looked at each other we were like what the blimmin' hell has he got on his lips it looked like he had bright red lipstick on 
and we were holding back the it was such a funny meeting we're holding our tears back I think it was the actual um the, the meeting it was was a game tactics meeting so it was, it was kind of like boardroom sitting and and Eddie yeah. I'm not sure if Eddie was in there but it's a really serious meeting um it was yeah. it was kind of <laughs> 10 15 minutes long just short sharp bang 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 and George you, you obviously ran the the attack side of things in Argentina for, for that tour and you're there addressing all these key points and we were kind of like staring at you, stood up, talking talking to these points. And me and Johnny just couldn't control ourselves. And we actually burst out laughing. We're like crying at the table. And then, and then you said, can I continue? And then we tried kind of keeping our stuff together. And then we just burst out laughing again. You actually got really mad that you had pink lipstick on. And you couldn't. Yeah, the, the meeting was basically done. But ever since then, you've been the red rat. Yeah. You've got a glow of red on you at the minute. It's when he gets embarrassed or gets angry, he's probably a bit both right now. Um, talk, talk to me about your your boys, um, your your friendship. Where did it start? Well, we first met in Saxons, didn't we? Which was years ago now, um, and that was the first time I come across Johnny. I always heard stories about him, about his his funny sort of ways and his professionalism and stuff. And I, I, my first memory of him is walking past his room. We had a game in Newcastle for the Saxons. His door was wide open. He was running. I think he was in the bath. Was he in the bath? I don't know. He was in the bath doing these stretches. I walked in, I saw him in this bath, and I thought, this guy is an absolute, he's crazy. So then... Naked stretching in the bath. Yeah. But he had his door open, so he obviously wanted to be seen. <laughs> and then we were lucky enough to get picked in the in the senior squad together. And um, I don't know, just, it just so happened to be that we had quite a lot of things in common in terms of like preparing and recovering and things like that. And then the relationship built from there. I managed to persuade him to come to Leicester for three years, which yeah. was good, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. So obviously, I had a house in Market Arbor, do you know Market Arbor? It's up the road, um, yeah. And he bought his house on the way from my house to training so I could pick him up every day on the way to training and drop him off. That's how he bought his house. So we spent a lot of time together there. And then obviously he went back to the Cherry and Whites where he belongs, where his family is. And our relationship's changed again now. What's the relationship? Where is it at now? Well, I, I ring him most days and he doesn't pick up, mate. I can um, I can testify to that, Johnny. Where is that? Dylan, right? five times a day is a bit excessive. Johnny, um, you an excessive or compulsive. But in, yeah, in regards to your professionalism, I've gone on record a few times saying you're the most professional, diligent player I've ever played with or seen. You are amazing. Where, where's that born from? Um, oh, well, thank you very much. That's kind, mate. No, I don't, I don't know. I just, I've always found routine and discipline and to be able to repeat things, that, that's easy to me. I know a lot of boys might find that kind of side of things um, hard, but within my routine and what I can control is, is where I get my confidence and where I can put a lot of my stress and anxiety into, I guess. And obviously, I just always want it to be the best player I can be. So anything really, anything that I can think is a percent here or a percent there, I'm just desperate to do. So I've seen you do these things, but can you put like a little bit of meat on the bones of what like your non-negotiables are? Like every day, what is a couple of things that you do? You got to remember for like people at home, they see you at the weekend running fast, scoring tries, but they don't see how diligent you are during the week. And I think even from a former professional player, like I looked at you and went, that is mad. I don't know how you do that many things in your day. So can you can you tell us? I'll, I'll whiz over it as quick as I can. It is it is quite a long menu of things. Probably like about an hour before training starts, 
I like to go down to the training center or get on the mats and start loosening off. Certainly after training, I'll always pick a skill that I want to work on, whether that's something as simple as catch pass or something more specific to my position, like my high ball stuff. Straight after training, I'll do some sort of resilience in terms of, for me, my Achilles and my hamstrings. Then I like to do more passive recovery. So whether that's put my pumps on or get in the ice bath or even my hyperbaric chamber that I get in every day, really. And then on top of that, it's just making sure that my diet's clean and I'm getting what I need out of that and sleep's critically important as well. And then days off are just probably the most important day for me because I want to use that day off to properly regenerate. So um, I, I use that day to do whatever I need to do. But again, all, all recovery based. So whether I need a massage or I want to get my complex on or get my pumps on or do some triggering and foam rolling. But I, I like to use that day because I feel like there's, by the time I get to the game, I feel ahead of it and I can just relax into the game um, and I feel prepared. What, what about like your stretching routine? I used to hate stretching. I was so unflexible. I literally had to go through pain. I think Dino Benton almost made me pass out one time. He kind of pretzled me up and he's like, just hang in there, mate. Hang in there. But I used to see you like in the corner for, for a good hour, uh, iPhone uh, minute repeats, your alarm was going off every minute, you're changing stretches. Uh, you still doing that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I like around an hour just so that I'm not rushed. And, and as you train more and get older, you work out more of the things that you like to do and your menu of options increases. Um, but I go on how I'm feeling and a couple of things is because I've done it for such a long time. It's just my discipline and my routine. So it's not an effort for me. I actually quite enjoy getting down there early and that's my time just to mentally and physically prepare and secondly because I came from a lot of athletics as a younger kid you just learn the importance of um, looking after your body and, and and learning how how to feel what you need so that you can go out there and feel fresh and perform. Forty, what do you do on your day off in a test week? Yeah so I quite like to try and do all like the recovery aspects of things I'm usually to be honest Dylan we have a walk through in the day off in the morning so you get all that done by lunchtime so like Recovery for me would be like hands-on treatment, massage, and then I like to get in the pool or ice or, or sauna, which was obviously quite big. We're actually not allowed in it at the minute, obviously, because of obvious reasons. But well, you're not allowed in sauna. Lunch. You get too red if you go in the sauna. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. And then, Still um, on those lips chatting then, up again. And I'd always like try and make like room in the afternoon to try and switch off from, from rugby a little bit, whether that's just going out for some lunch or coffee with a few... Just, just to, as you know, get out of the hotel, which you've been in all week, preparing for a test match at the end of it. Sometimes, you know, just to go and have a little break, go and have some food or something. You come back in a little bit more refreshed to, to go again the day after. Do, do you know what I used to have to do on my day off? Fight. Yeah, it was fight club. And by that time in the week, the, the 32 players had gone home. So we just had the test team and, and Wednesday, Thursday was our day off. So I'd end up fighting like members of staff. I think I went through like the doctor, the kit man, S&C coaches, uh, Neil Hatley. And um, I had to literally ground-based conditioning, but it was like wrestling. I had to wrestle all the members of staff and then we started running out of people. It was ridiculous. But that was, that was my day off. Hi, I'm Emily Scarrett and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. the one directive from the master from eddie jones what's what's he want from you just he's always said just be faster and be smarter 
So that's basically what I'm trying to do is it's a game within a game sprinting and, and running fast. You've got to look at that separately and that takes a lot of discipline. But beyond that, just to be a student of the game and George has helped me out a lot with that. He obviously comes from a rugby family and knows the game inside out, watches lots of rugby, talks about rugby all the time. Um, so to be able to talk to him and boys like Faz and to work with lots of great coaches through my career um, and great players, just to be a student of the game, to be a sponge, to to know your role inside out and to understand what's required of you and what's great about rugby and, and, and why I'm still pushing it and enjoying it now is that you can never stop learning really, especially when you come into an environment like this. You're learning all the time. Every session you do, every game you do, you're tweaking and learning and, and improving. Nice. Forty. I was asking Johnny about his his kind of good habits there. You, for me, have always been really diligent, not always improving yourself, but the sort of position you've always played and the role you've had within the team. You've also had to coach. Have you got any sort of things that are non-negotiables for you, kind of fundamentals to your day or your routine? Yeah, uh, to be honest, I've uh, probably learned a lot off Johnny in terms of that. He's, he's obviously a standout when it comes to um, preparing uh, and recovering, especially from a physical point of view. So I've learned, like, yeah, pre-session, after session, to do all the little bits. Like like Johnny said, every, everyone's got different aspects of the body they need to, to look after. Like, Johnny needs to be quick. People like me and Faz are kickers, so we've got to look after our hips and everything that goes on and around that, really, to make sure that we can kick. Ford, are you still doing your bicep, extra biceps? <laughs> do you remember when Eddie was like, 40, mate, 40, we need to get some arms on you, mate. We need to fill the shirt. And I was just yeah, thinking, looking at you there, like, they're looking good, mate. The the guns are looking all right. No, I, yeah, obviously, joking aside, we, we, you, you experienced it well as well, Dil, that, that um, we went through a stage of doing a lot of pump sessions, didn't we? Like, uh, whether that was early in the morning or whether it was in the in the afternoon and, like... You were doing pump sessions, I was just doing fat burners. But <laughs> we, we went through it, yeah, we went through it. Yeah, that, that's, still, that's still going on. Obviously, when you're in camp 24-7, there's loads of time to... Um, to have these sessions yeah but definitely that that obviously was uh, and is still a work on for me not being the biggest guy around and stuff that to to maintain my weight and try and get stronger is obviously a big thing uh, especially the way the game's going with everyone getting stronger bigger fitter faster so yeah that, that's obviously a big thing I, I just what you touched on there about like sort of influencing others as well obviously in this environment that there's a lot put on the leadership and the leaders of the team to not only first and foremost do your own job get your own house in order, but then to start influencing others. And I think that's probably in the last two or three years where I've been pushed as an individual from Eddie and and the other guys like Craigie and the coaches to to have an influence on the rest of the squad. Because they always say that a training session or a performance at the weekend is a reflection of the leadership of the team. So I've learned a lot in terms of that. Do you remember um, that Argentinian tour that we went on where basically the regular kind of starting 15 of the England team went on the Lions and then there was about five or six of us that didn't make it and we went yeah. to Argentina and I looked around and it was like us three, Robbo, Joe Launchbury, that was about it. The rest was like an under-18s or under-19s school tour. I mean, we had to deal with both curries. That was hard enough. But I remember the first couple of sessions, Eddie being like, these guys don't know what it takes to, to train or play at this level because... You know, everyone sees Saturday, that spectacle on Saturday, but my biggest learning I took was it's a habit, like preparation and performance is a habit. And I remember kind of having all these young guys on that tour, they just didn't have any idea what was expected to train at that sort of level. 
And um, I remember us all kind of banging heads afterwards. It was so stressful because we had the boss in one ear saying, come on, you know, the, the quality needs to go up. And there was kind of this core group of us saying, we need to get the, uh, the standards up. But you're communicating to like 25 guys who had no idea of what those standards looked like. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that now, though. Obviously, with this mini camp that we've just been through here, the, the squad is, is so different at the minute. And one of the main conversations and things we've had is how can we get up to speed in terms of training standard and what we're doing in an England environment compared to a club environment? Because clearly, there's got to be a step up there. So it is when there's the quite a lot of new slash young lads in, it's, it's a challenge because you maybe have two or three rugby sessions on the field. And, and as you know, if you're not quite at it in the first one, you know where the where it's going to come to. It's going to come back to the leadership of the team. So we've done a lot of work off the field to make sure that these you, you know, young lads or new lads coming in uh, understand at least what level we need to be at. I think it's down to the success of the team and, and how well you guys will go on the field is basically your leadership. Everyone looks to coaches and I know Eddie took large responsibility for for Japan but you know if if we're honest with ourselves it is literally the leadership or the senior players or the majority of that group that run the show but he is called the master Johnny can you tell us why just because he's the boss mate Eddie's one of a kind very charismatic guy nobody else like him but more so than any other environment um, that I've been in there's just so much clarity here you know where you stand you know who bosses and that's Eddie you know what the game plan is you know what's expected of you you know what how tough training is going to be you know how hard we need to play at the weekend so that's why he's the master because we know exactly what is expected of us um, and it brings the best out of us as well what's the themes at the moment what, what's what's going on like in camp what, what's the master what's he picked up on I don't want you to give away any trade secrets but there's, there's kind of generic things happening in the game at the moment do you guys see anything uh, 40 from a tactics kind of point of view. What what's happening there? I think I think the where the game's going in terms of uh, in and around the breakdown probably more still. And to be honest, uh, you can see, obviously you watch the games. The amount of steals that are potentially if you're defending steals that you potentially get the ball back, which is then leading to more unstructured rugby. So the transition periods from attack to defence, you know that initial first three, four, five seconds to to almost um, get from one sort of mindset into another to get into position to make uh, an opportunity is probably being seen more often now in the game than it, than it would be. So it's that anticipation, I suppose, um, you know, with the more turnovers and structured kind of game that you need to be on it mentally and more engaged than ever to make sure that you're going from one thing which could be defending to next minute you've got the ball and you've got an attacking opportunity. So we're pushing that in training in terms of transition and and as always, the training reflects what we're trying to achieve. So um, there's been a big emphasis on that. I was going to say, like, transitional um, rugby and transitional training, like turnover, turnover, turnover. That is, like, just pure fitness, isn't it? We've been doing, like, 12 and 12 and 13 on 13, as, as you well know, Dylan, and it's like the ball might be at one end of the field and then all of a sudden it's like turnover and there's a ball kicked to the other end of the field and then turnover kicks that go all over the place off Eddie's boot of... Do you know what I, I love and who's probably got the best job or the easiest job in that camp is that guy who follows Eddie round with the ball. Like Eddie's just always in the middle Tommy, of the game. Tommy, Tommy Thompson, Thompson at the moment. He's actually he, a qualified. He, um, he's probably done five years at university. He's a qualified SNC. He's got all this yeah. knowledge, but his one job is to carry the one or two balls and just be in Eddie's pocket the whole time. 
Because like you say, Eddie just like scattergun sprinklers it. He's like, just kicks it wherever. He's like, turn over. Then Tommy's going to give him another ball ready. It's an important job though. If he didn't do it, he'd be in trouble, mate. So. Hi, I'm Willie Hines, England Scrum Half, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to show the podcast some love by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So when I was um, obviously hanging on in camp for my last couple of years, I was literally thrown a, a bone by, by Eddie, the, the master, and he gave me an opportunity. And I think the way he worked me uh, pushed me and it got more out of me physically and mentally. I, I felt like I became... Uh, a better individual, you know, physically and mentally. How has he kind of helped you boys unlock potential or upskill? How, how has he helped you get better? First and foremost, obviously, the feedback you get from Eddie after every game you play, you, you're going to get some sort of feedback, and um, and that's uh, crucial as a player. Uh, but I think there's certain aspects like that uh, Eddie wants to keep pushing from an individual point of view. So, for example, for me, he's always been pushing my my individual running game to be a threat with ball in hand and so the feedback that I get in terms of that part of the game is pretty constant after every game after every training or he'll tip you up before training to say make sure you you give you one or two things to make sure that you you've got that at the forefront of your mind to to keep improving and the other thing that I've learned so much about under Eddie is the leadership just to be more demanding more more assertive uh, at the right times the understanding of having relationships with others and and how important that is and that, and the time it takes for that to happen to then make sure that you when you get to a situation on the field, you can get response out of your teammates. So, like like you said, Dylan, the responsibility put on the leaders and the leadership group is is pretty big here in camp. So, um, the way that's pushed as an individual in that group is has been something I've I've really learned under Eddie as well. I think um, like going back, I've I've played in teams where a lot of the week is spent around the team preparing for a game. Almost the individuals within that team are forgotten. And towards the end of my, my kind of career, Eddie and certainly Chris, Chris Boyd here at Northampton provided training times for individual improvement. Are you boys still allocating time to that? Because loads of people do extras post-training. But I remember we started integrating kind of 15, 20, half-hour blocks into a training hour or an hour and 20 on individual kind of skills. Are you guys still yeah. doing that sort of thing? Yeah, there's always different themes and different ways of going about it, but we do this thing called bacon and eggs and steak and eggs. So bacon and eggs in the morning, steak and eggs in the evening. They're individualised to what the person... Can you tell me why it's called bacon and eggs? I, I, when we were first on the schedule, I thought, oh, fair enough, we're having bacon and eggs. But it's normally at six o'clock in the morning and it's normally in the gym and it's not got any bacon and eggs, but that's just what we call it. Um, but for instance, me and George had, George had a bit of Achilles work and some ankle work this morning. Um, and we both did a bit of stretching. Some other guys might need a bit of weight. Some guys are on the what bike deal. That would have been you. It's not actually that long ago that I was there, but bacon and eggs wasn't the schedule. And my bacon and eggs was either fighting, like ground and pound with a member yeah. of staff, or what bike, uh, quite the opposite yeah. of actual bacon and eggs. Hi, I'm Tom Curry, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Off the back of 2015 on, on home soil, obviously there's a lot of change and Eddie came in. That sort of season that followed, have you, got, have you guys got fond memories of that 2016? We obviously grand slammed uh, that tournament after four or five years of being runners-up in the tournament and then toured Australia 
and, and created a bit of history down there. Have you guys got good memories? Yeah, no, the, the, the one thing I can remember, obviously, for the lads involved in 2015, dis- massive disappointment. And then, like you said, quite a lot of change. Um, the difference in intensity of training, which Eddie brought in from the off, was, as you can probably imagine, something like we'd never experienced before. So, like, that, that, that was crucial, I thought, in making us successful that year. Obviously, we, we had a really good Six Nations and we enjoyed it. I think that summer tour to Australia was the best tour I've been on. For, for all aspects, I think, you know, we had a really good squad go out there. We, we went to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, three great places. Um, it was the, obviously, England-Australia rivalry and, and the fact that we won the first two tests and, you know, it could have been easy to go 2-1, but we, we managed to pull through in that third test to go 3-0 and... Um, and just how, how good that feeling was, really, of obviously back in the Grand Slam up with a 3-0 win was a great year, yeah. But there was definitely a difference in the way we prepared under Eddie and, and that transferred on the field. It, it was, I remember it was a proper shock. He basically said, he came in and said, we weren't fit enough to play the game that we need to play. And the, the good thing is, he said, he challenged us. He said, we're going to train a lot harder, but we're going to be number one in the world. He started kind of repeating that mantra daily, talked about winning daily. Training was unbelievably hard like we all got pushed to a a place that and it continued to ratchet up but the good thing he did um, a good bit of psychology in in my opinion was he provided like the GPS the data so he showed us where we're at and every week we made these little you know changes and we improved every week and then it was almost self-fulfilling we started believing we were fitter we believe we were getting better and you know a byproduct of that stuff is we had a good game management and, and game, and we were winning. So it was almost self-fulfilling. We, we, we created a really good uh, belief there, and I think that was down to Eddie's sort of psychology, I think. One last question, right? How have you boys changed over the years? So, George, I've always seen you as really diligent, quite serious, bit of a rugby nose. Um, but you, do you know what, though, from, from such a young age, did you play at 16 or 17? professionally 16 yeah 16. 16 like and and obviously the relationship with your father being player and a coach rugby's ingrained in you and being a fly half it is your job to coach the team as well as play so have you kind of matured have you have you learned to relax better have you learned yeah. to enjoy it better that, that, that'd be the main thing i think when you're young uh, and you're coming through 16 17 18 and um in, in a good way, like r- rugby is the most important thing and you throw everything in, into, you know, trying to obviously break through and stay there and keep playing well week in, week out. And, and that, all that and things stay the same. I think obviously with age and experience and maturing a little bit, I think um, just the understanding that um, sometimes getting away from that and relaxing and realising rugby is a big part of our lives and we want to be successful and be the best player we can be. But... You know, there's there's other aspects to life uh, which are just as important. And it's funny you should mention it, but obviously, like the lockdown recently, um, being at home for eight weeks, we'd never in a million years spend eight weeks at home to see mum, dad, brother, my brother's little boy. You know, you know what it's like in the season. You might get a couple of days here and there, or a week. So that was a realization to me as well that um, how full on we are when we're going from game to game, camp to camp, and just the the realization that obviously you've got your family and to get away from rugby and spend time with them and all them other things as well is just as probably more important than, than playing rugby. That doesn't take away from, you know, trying to lead or influence or be the best player I can be. But definitely, like like I said, the realisation that, 
you know, the, the other parts of life, being around the people you love and want to spend time with uh, is incredible, really. I, I think um, just from experience, like the all-consuming nature of, of what you boys are doing, that balance that you're talking about of having your family can actually make you a better player, better teammate, better leader by being able to switch off, unwind, all these sorts of things. Johnny, question for you. I've seen you, you mature as well, Johnny, and I think you're a great example of the things we've talked about in terms of your diligence and your professionalism, but do you think as a person you've grown as well? 100%, you're right in saying that. I guess I've always probably been a bit of a late bloomer. I was certainly very immature in a good way, very naive. I hadn't come through the rugby programme or, or a rugby family like like other players had my journey through. I was I was late to get, I barely played age group rugby and I came onto the scene quite quickly. And although George says, like, I've always had that discipline and whether I was stretching the bath in 20s or whatever, um, that's always been there. But as I've got older, I've just realised the importance of the little things, um, the discipline that is required, the focus that is required. And, 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 and as I've learned that, I've obviously matured and become wiser. And I just, just want to, make the most of my opportunities so every year that's gone by to get better. The focus has had to increase. Um, the understandings had to increase. What I put into the game has had to increase. So with, within that, I've, I've grown up and I feel like I'm in a good spot now because um, my understanding of what my game is and what is expected of me is very, very clear. Um, my routine and my preparation gives me confidence. And I just want to keep pushing that now because... I've got 10 years left anymore. I've, these, these are the years that I want to make count. So um, that pressure and expectation I put on myself is also increasing. Um, so I just don't want to waste a day. All the things you're talking about there are performance related. Do you enjoy it? If I'm like, if, it's, it's a funny word, like enjoyment. Satisfaction? Um, the word enjoyment, if you say, oh, I'll go to the cinema or go to the theme park or go get a coffee, those are enjoyable things for me. There's so much pressure I put on myself and expectation. The word enjoyment doesn't really match that but like I ask myself a couple of questions and I say would I want to be anywhere else doing anything else and the answer is no so even though imagine in a final or a massive test match when you're feeling under pressure or the program's demanding of you I ask myself would I rather be anywhere else and the answer is no I would I'd rather be here doing that and the second thing is I just um love the pro I do, I do love the process of, of the challenge it's, it's an addictive thing so um Although enjoyment, maybe I need to learn to enjoy it more. I'm very, very lucky because I'm addicted to the process and I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Forty, are you able to find enjoyment in the game? Because just sitting on this side of it now, when you finish, I wish I just kind of had a word with myself or someone had pulled me aside and said, don't heap so much pressure on yourself. Step back, look at what you're doing, look how many people you make happy by doing what you guys do and try and find a little bit of um, the word is enjoyment. Can you find that 40? Do you manage that or are you still, because I know you put the pressure on yourself to, to perform every day and, and at the weekend. Yeah, I think again, it's a, it's a balance. I think um, for me, it's very like what you've just said that it's very easy to get yourself into a position where you, you're carrying the world on your shoulders with it, with, you know, your own individual performance and, uh, what's been demanded of you in other areas in terms of getting the team ready and things like that. Like it, it can, before you know it, it can get to you to the point where it is, you know, quite, quite stressful, both mentally and physically. Like that's just the reality of it. But um, 
I think I'm a bit like Johnny. I love the process of getting myself ready to go and play, getting the team ready to go and play. Like I love, I love the game. I'm obsessed with the game. I watch every little bit of rugby I possibly can to try and constantly learn and develop. And I enjoy it. And things make sense for me when we go out and perform well and win. That's when I really enjoy it. All the things in the week that you do, the choices you make, the pressure you put on yourself, the, the way you try and help others as well. If you get that result at the end of the weekend and you can sit there and you and you make sense to you in my head anyway, that's when I enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. The half hour of bliss post-match. Yeah, yeah. Before you start, it is though, before you start thinking about what, you know, like, what do I need to do now to make sure I'm ready for the week after? So, again, I think, like, age and experience is, is, is massively out that, Dylan. Like, I remember being maybe 20, 21 and uh, losing a premiership game and not having the best of games. And, I, I, honestly, for two or three days would be horrendous. Like, just, you know, like the world was ending sort of thing. But uh, you, you grow to understand that sometimes that happens. Uh, sometimes you lose games. Sometimes you don't have the best game individually. But... As long as you have your own individual plan to make sure that you can go and perform as well as you can at weekend, then you know that that is satisfying. And then obviously winning at the end of it is what it's about. So um, yeah, I do enjoy the moments. Yeah, I do, and I enjoy the process of it. But like anything in any job, there's different challenges and stresses that you've got to deal with. Right, boys. As I'm new to this media stuff, and back in the day, I dodged a lot of questions when talking to the media. I thought I'd give you the chance to flip reverse it and ask me anything you want. Ask away. Uh, my question to you, Dill, how have you found this, but how have you found, obviously, the transition from being in an environment and, and leading an environment as you were as captain like this to to obviously normal day and what you're doing now in, in life? Has that been tough? Has it been, yeah, like what, what's the transition been like for you? Personally, okay. I think COVID probably helped with that because the whole world kind of stopped, so everyone was in a similar boat. But I think, um, and this way we're going to tip the hat to you, 240, didn't introduce you as an England captain. But that sort of role that you are in, in the team, whether you're the, the attack leader or a senior player or a captain, I think it, it teaches you so much about that resilience kind of factor and that work ethic factor. Because there's players in a team that don't do anything. There's a couple. We, we know... There's a few positions and, and personalities that don't have to do much. They can kind of just turn up, play their game. But uh, I know your role and especially my role when I was there, there's a lot of workload that comes with it on top of just trying to play and perform as well. So I think what you guys are doing and, and how diligent and professional you are will set you up pretty well for when that transition comes. So yeah, do you know what? I've enjoyed it. Um, physically, I was holding on when playing for England. Eddie got the most out of me. So when I finished, it was quite uh, a sigh of relief. You know, I could not let myself go, but I had to. I didn't have to keep doing down and ups and all that sort of mobility and the accelerations and, and my body fat, all these things, you know, I was getting tested weekly. So mentally, I kind of created this, um, it, was, it was almost like a high performance thing, but I suppose like an OCD and a worry. You know, I was always thinking about it. Every day I, I, I thought about what I was eating and then, I thought about my fitness and now it's just I've down tools a little bit and mentally I feel at peace. But I think everything I learned in that environment that you guys are in has, has put me in good stead for, for what's to come. So keep doing what you're doing. Johnny May, got anything for me? What do you want for Christmas, mate? What do I want for Christmas? Oh, gee, why is it? I'd love a sauna. 
I would absolutely oh, yes. love yeah. a sauna. Yeah. We, we all share the same agency, so I'm, I'm like hounding the agency at the minute. And if anyone's listening to the pod, this is a good thing about a pod, right? You can pitch. You can pitch <laughs> yeah, for free sauna. Yeah. If anyone wants to sponsor an old washed-up player, apparently sauna is on my Christmas list. Thank you, Johnny. Great question. I'll be back again next week, chewing the fat with some more of the players in camp. Here's a little taster of what's to come. You were basically just on my heels the whole time. I felt it, everyone saw it, everyone knew it. And we did conditioning downstairs, and I got partnered with you, Jinx. It was like Eddie had like been training me to this point. It's like Karate Kid, mate. <laughs> Cobra Kai, mate, it was Cobra Kai. Like the subplots were unbelievable. Like Eddie sat there like, he's like a gladiator, like sat there in his big chair like the Emperor, just like watching. And he was like, fight! And no one else probably thought of this, but I was thinking this. I was like, if I lose to Jinx in any of these wrestles, I'm done. I think it's so healthy, mate. Like, competition for places, obviously, like, we're so lucky to play in a team where they're, you know, there's a conveyor belt of good players. And I learned a huge amount from you. And I think that that's, that's got to be the, the mindset that you have in that, you know, if you're just going to sit there and sulk and worry about not playing, for example, you know, you're not making the most of the opportunity that you can have. Remember to let us know what you make of the new podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And hit subscribe wherever you're listening so you get the next episode as soon as it drops. Thank you for tuning in. Catch you next week.